So, let's pray and jump right in. Father in heaven, we ask your Holy Spirit to be with us today, in particular as we continue this journey to understand with our heads and our hearts the role of the Spirit in our lives. Help us to take another step today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have a little, uh, really more of a Bible lesson today with some applications at the end. And I want to walk you through something that's really a fulfillment of, of a declaration that Jesus made. And you heard it in what Clark read to us a moment ago. But before we do that, I want to just do a quick review of where we've been. We talked about Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to leave. You feel like that's a bad thing, but the truth is it's a really good thing. Because if I go, then the Father will send what he has promised. And there's a, a really kind of unusual word that's, that's anglicized into paraclete that uh, is a Greek word that meant one who stands beside or one who speaks on behalf of. And Jesus said, the Father is going to send one who will stand beside you. And it is through this one that the Father is going to send that the words of Jesus in the Great Commission can actually come true. He says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, Jesus himself now has taken on flesh and bones and in a three-dimensional reality that our world is, he would be in a place. But through the Holy Spirit, he's able to be everywhere. So this is the promise of the Father. But then we also talked about how we have that great commission where where Jesus says go, but we talked about how he also said, but before you go, I want you to wait. Wait for the promise. Last Sabbath we were in Acts chapter 2, which is that great story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there's a powerful moment when Peter gets up and begins to talk, where he quotes an Old Testament prophecy found in the book of Joel. I'm in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It says, and this is quoting the Old Testament, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. It's very inclusive, isn't it? All flesh. Too often the Bible will just use the basic reference men, and it generally implies men and women. But this prophecy was so important that all the way back in the Old Testament, it is specifically stated that your sons and daughters, and that upon my male and female servants, I will pour out my Spirit. It also says on the young and on the old, all flesh. So all genders are included in this, uh, all ages are included in this, And all races are included in this, which is a reality that at this point, Peter himself did not even understand, even as he spoke those words. The Lord has to lead us 
We have to learn to follow. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. Peter, towards the end of his words, said, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We talked about last Sabbath. We're about as far off from Peter as we can be. We're, most of us aren't Jewish. We don't live anywhere close to Jerusalem. Yet the promise of the Father is to all of us, even all the way on the other side of the world here, and all these years later, the promise is still for us. Now, not even Peter understood completely what he was saying, but Jesus had laid out the plan. And you heard the plan in what was read just a moment ago by, by Clark. And I go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The words of Jesus, he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So here's the order of how it goes. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, we receive power, and by that we become witnesses. Too often I think we've run off to try to be witnesses before receiving power. And we can't understand why we don't have anything to say, and we can't understand why nothing really seems to come of it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now notice this progression. In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus has laid out here is what will be the progression of the gospel and the outpouring of the Spirit. Now watch as we take a quick little survey through a couple spots in the book of Acts how it happened exactly like Jesus said it would. And let's start with Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all together in one place, the previous chapter tells us. And, and this mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire came. You kind of get another look at the concept of that after watching the video that Isaac showed us of a mighty rushing wind and flame. That could be a pretty intimidating moment had you been there in it. Now there's, there's three things I want you to note about this moment where the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and the women and the others who were gathered in that room. First of all, the event is obvious to them. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Spirit. And they're probably like, <clears throat> well, okay, I wonder how we're going to know if this has happened. Oh, they knew. It was obvious to them. But more than that, the second point, it was obvious to others. Because if you remember how the story goes after this, others heard the sound and flocked to where they were. So the coming of the Spirit into the life of the church was obvious to the believers, and it was obvious to others as well. Now, a third point here 
for the apostles and the others in that upper room, this outpouring of the Spirit came after they were baptized. Now, we don't know exactly when most of the disciples were literally baptized in water, but we know a couple of them were disciples of John the Baptist. And in order to have become disciples of him, no doubt they went to him, confessed their sins, were baptized in the water, and followed John. We also know that Jesus was baptizing, although there's a parenthetical in there that says, actually, Jesus didn't baptize, but it was the disciples doing it. So presumably all of them had literally had that experience where you walk up, well, they didn't have a tank like this, but they were in the river, and you get lowered down into the water and you come back, a baptism of repentance that John preached. But you remember that John himself said, I baptize you for water, in water for the repentance of sin, but there is one coming after me who will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. So because the Holy Spirit had not come in fullness yet, the disciples were baptized, and there was a gap until the Spirit came. Now let's move forward in the story. We're jumping into this next passage that we'll find in Acts chapter 8. We're jumping in just after the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was appointed as one of the deacons, but he was also very filled with the Spirit, and he went out and began to speak particularly with Hellenized Jews. And it created a crisis. They drug him in before the Sanhedrin. He testified in front of them. It grew to a crisis moment. They drug him outside. They threw their coats at the foot of a man named Saul. And they stoned him. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now note this verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So a persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. All the believers are in Jerusalem at this point. A persecution breaks out. They go house to house arresting people. And the people are like, we're getting out of here. And they're scattered. But where did they get scattered to? Did you notice the words? It's in verse 1. They were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. And what did they do when they got scattered? Wherever they went, they talked about Jesus. Learning to follow. What had Jesus said would happen? He said, first, it's going to happen in Jerusalem. And then it's going to happen in Judea and Samaria. But you know what? They didn't get to Judea and Samaria by a clever strategy. Or by a meeting where they all got together and said, you know, this is going really well here. We need to spread out. You know how the gospel and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came to Judea and Samaria? Persecution. Here's the thing. That which accomplishes God's purpose is not always obvious. 
And sometimes it isn't even something we want. We see it come along and we think, how can this be God's will? How can God allow His people to be persecuted? But it turns out that persecution is the means by which His purpose was accomplished. They left Jerusalem. And they went out into Judea and Samaria. And they talked about Jesus. Let's go on. Verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip, he was another one of the deacons, went down to to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So Philip now has gone to Samaria. How often did the Jews like to go to Samaria? They hated going to Samaria. But because of persecution, he went there. And the crowds, verse 6, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So the gospel is going forward. And the power of the Holy Spirit is in Philip. And he's doing these miraculous works. And the people are listening and believing. The gospel was moving forward with Holy Spirit power. However, something interesting was happening. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. It's like, are are you sure? Because they're Samaritans. Are you sure they're believing? Remember at this point, Christianity is still a sect of Judaism. It's still wrapped up within the culture and the expectations of Judaism. And the notion that Samaritans are going to be a part of this is a stretch. Boy, do they have a lot of stretching to do. It's hard to believe. So they're like, yeah, Peter and John, go check this out. Because that's Philip and he's just a deacon after all. Let's go find out for sure what's going on. They sent to them Peter and John, verse 15, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. This is interesting. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So so here's what's happened. It's interesting that the Spirit did not fall automatically upon the Samaritans when they were baptized. Philip was baptizing them. They were repenting and receiving this baptism of John, but the Holy Spirit was not falling upon them in that moment. And this raises an interesting point. And it's a point that ought to give us pause. It is possible to be be baptized for the confession of sins and have entered into a saving relationship with Jesus, but not be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Samaritans had believed. They had confessed. They'd made their way to the tank and gotten baptized. But they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. It's not until Peter and John come and they lay their hands on them that the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. Now, let's note again the things we noted about the apostles. First of all, when the Samaritans did receive the Spirit, it was obvious to them. They knew it had happened. 
Peter and John came, the Spirit fell upon them. Second, it was obvious to others when they received the Holy Spirit. And third, again, like with the apostles, they received the Holy Spirit after they had been baptized. You can be a baptized believer and not be Spirit-filled. It's an interesting point, isn't it? And it ought to give us pause. We're going to explore this further next Sabbath. But I want to give you just one more case, which is the beginning of the last part of the declaration of Jesus. Jesus said, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, the witness to the ends of the earth begins to happen in a town called Caesarea with a man named Cornelius, who was a centurion in the Roman army. But in order for this to happen, God had to take the lead. Because it was already a stretch to the apostles that the Samaritans might believe. And in fact, they themselves did not go to the Samaritans, did they? It was Philip who went to the Samaritans. Now this is an amazing story where God takes the lead. And we don't have time for it today, but you ought to read it for yourself. Through Holy Spirit intervention and a vision for Cornelius and a vision for Peter, Peter ends up inside of a Gentile household in Caesarea talking to a centurion and his family. And one of the points that Peter makes when he goes there is, you know I'm really not supposed to be here. See, they had to learn to follow. There was no part of Peter's upbringing, background, and context that told him it was a good idea to go into a Gentile's house. In fact, you weren't supposed to. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Oh, Peter, you're just beginning to understand. You are just beginning. It ought to give us pause, right? What are my unknown prejudices? What are my hidden assumptions that nobody necessarily passed to me maliciously, but yet came down to me anyway? What do I need the Holy Spirit to do in my life to open my eyes? Verse 35, But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So it is upon Jesus first that the Spirit falls, and that's that moment where of baptism, He's baptized, He comes up, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then it happened. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. Maybe you didn't understand what I said. See, that doesn't have a lot of meaning to you, does it? You don't, because you just kind of assume that. But this was an earthquake. This was unbelievable. God? You're going to pour your Holy Spirit on the uncircumcised heathen? By which he means you and me. Just so you understand that. Now, now this is fascinating because... Because this whole concept of circumcision plays very closely into this. Because this was the sign that was given to Abraham of whose God's people would be. And, and there's an interesting point here. See, this didn't come up with the Samaritans. You know why? The Samaritans weren't Jews, but they'd been trained in much of the reality of Judaism. And the Samaritans were a circumcised people. So as much as they were cousins, they were not popular cousins, but it was kind of like, well, okay, I guess the Holy Spirit can fall on anyone circumcised. And we can baptize someone as long as they're circumcised. But then this. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? The very question itself reveals a reality about Peter. He went there with no intention of baptizing these people. Because they had not followed the law. They were not a part of the people of God. Until they followed the list of rules... He couldn't baptize them. Come on. These are Gentiles. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, if you keep reading, you'll find out Peter got in trouble for this when he went back to Jerusalem. What are you doing baptizing Gentiles? But now I want you to note, again, the things we've been noting in the other stories of how the Holy Spirit came upon them. First of all, it was obvious 
to the Gentiles when the Holy Spirit came upon them. This was an obvious moment. Secondly, it was obvious to the others, particularly to the circumcised Jewish believers in the room, because they were amazed that the Holy Spirit had fallen on them. So obvious to themselves, obvious to others. But here's what's different about this story. In this story, the Holy Spirit fell upon them before they were baptized. And it had to be that way because there was no way anybody was going to baptize a Gentile. The Spirit had to take the lead because the people did not understand what all flesh meant. You'd think maybe that was obvious, but I guess not. They had not yet understood what ends of the earth meant. They thought it meant Jews wherever they go. But no. And because of this, the Spirit had to take the lead. They were learning to follow. Now the outpouring of the Spirit is to be related to water baptism, but the Spirit is not restrained by our actions and will come as is appropriate for any situation. But I would continue to note these points. When the Holy Spirit falls upon a person, it's obvious to the one who receives the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit falls upon a person, it's obvious to others that this has taken place. And usually this is related one way or another to being baptized. So Jesus had said this. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Cornelius was just the beginning of what was to come. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution, again, here's that persecution, and the role it played in the mission. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, that's the region of Tyre and Sidon, and Cyprus, that's the island, and Antioch, speaking the word, note this, to no one except Jews. Because that's what they thought it was. This is a message for the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, were coming to Ant who, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, Preaching the Lord Jesus. You see, they didn't know better. Sometimes the most effective evangelists in the church are the ones that don't know better. Well, don't talk to them. They'll never believe. Hey, I talked to this person and they believe. What? He's a Greek. Well, I don't know. He seems to like Jesus. Sometimes knowing too much is harmful. Sometimes God will use the one that you think is crazy to accomplish a great work. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And again, they did what they do. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas, go up there and figure out what they're doing. Are they talking to Greeks? 
What is going on here? And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. I love Barnabas. He's one of those great characters in, in the Bible story. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. We kind of skipped over the story of Saul. The last we remember, he was a persecutor. But he goes through his own experience of conversion and finally ends up sent back to his hometown. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. There's an interesting note here, and this needs to not be lost on us. While Jerusalem was in fact the initial home of the church and the first place that things were going to spread, Jerusalem would not be the home for the mission to the world. Antioch was the home of the mission to the world. It was in Antioch that they first started talking to the Hellenists. It was in Antioch that in just the next chapter they're going to get together and in a prayer meeting, the Lord's going to say to them through the Holy Spirit, Set aside Saul and Barnabas because I want them to go on a mission. The first Christian mission did not come from Jerusalem. It came from Antioch. You see, sometimes in Jerusalem, the traditions are just too strong. And the work is just too encumbered by custom and culture. Sometimes you need a crazy place. Like, I don't know, Boulder, maybe. Sometimes, sometimes the mission can't come from Jerusalem. And sometimes the apostles can't be the first guys out. Sometimes it's got to be a persecutor that goes first. You asked Laura and Kinsley and Matt to come back. So we're going to do a song again. But here's the lessons I want us to hear today, take with us. First of all, God will fulfill His purpose. God will fulfill His purpose. Everything He said, everything He's promised will happen. But here's the thing. It doesn't always happen the way we expect. How did the gospel get out of Jerusalem? It wasn't strategy. It wasn't intentionality. It was persecution. Maybe there's something useful in this COVID thing after all. I don't know. It sure feels like persecution. It doesn't always happen the way we expect, but God will accomplish His purpose. And it doesn't always happen through the ones we expect it to happen. Who would have chosen Saul to become Paul and write most of the New Testament? Not me. Who would have chosen Cornelius to be the first fruits of the gospel to the ends of the earth? 
Roman centurion? What? Who would have chosen Antioch to be the city from which the gospel would go to the world? Jesus didn't even go there. The Spirit must be allowed to lead because we're not smart enough to make God's plan work without the Holy Spirit in the lead. That doesn't mean we don't meet. That doesn't mean we don't talk. That doesn't mean we don't make strategies sometimes. We always need a plan. But there's a great quote attributed to Dwight Eisenhower. He says, before the battle, the plan is essential. Once the battle starts, the plan is useless. Because the situation changes fly. But if you don't have a plan then you don't know where your resources are. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to change. So you got to make a plan. But then you got to be ready to abandon it as soon as the Spirit leads another way. you got to be ready to move. Most of you are baptized. Some of you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means there's another level to this. Are you ready for that next level? We're going to talk about that some more as we keep going here. But, but just remember, God will fulfill His purpose. It's not always going to happen the way you think it will. It's not always going to happen through the ones you're expecting. But if you're willing, God will use you to build His kingdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, send us your Holy Spirit. We're beginning to realize more and more how much we need your Spirit in the lead. Help us to learn to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.